Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. First one of 2023. It's episode number 141. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined by John and Logan. On today's episode, we're going to talk about buying tools and what we're look, thinking about when we look at new tools or new to us tools and the buying process. No outside sponsors today, so I just want to put a plug out there for everyone to subscribe to the new Shop Notes magazine. Our first issue is out there, and we've been getting some pretty good feedback on that, nice comments on the projects and articles that are in there. So you want to check that out at shopnotes.com to subscribe to that one. It's four issues a year, comes out digitally, and has been a lot of fun to put together. A couple of comments from last year's when we were talking about auxiliary work surfaces. Uh, Rick writes, I saw that clutter during the shop tour Logan gave us on our trip in July. Yep, it's everywhere. Off camera. My extra work <laughs> surface is a solid core door attached to one end of my bench that has always been a place to put stuff and has never moved since. Uh, Tim writes, I built an outfeed table for my table saw with wheels on two legs and stu two standard legs. This makes it easy for me to move about my shop to use in a variety of ways. When the weather permits, I even roll it outside to use for a sanding table. Merry Christmas, guys. And there was one more here. Oh, here, Craig writes, I have an extension table to the right of my table saw to accommodate the long fence rail. This gives about 36 inches in length between the saw and leg supports and 34 inches in height of storage space under the top. I built a mobile cabinet from maple plywood with three drawers and has a nice ash top. I can move the cabinet, usually to the lathe, and utilize the top for horizontal use for tools and parts. The top has to be free from clutter to fit back in place under the table saw. The drawers hold table saw accessories. Works great and cost less than $100. There you go. It's a nice ash top. Mm-hmm. 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 It's a big ash top. Those jokes never get a hold of No, they don't. <laughs> Till the emerald ash borer kills off all the ash trees. Yeah, that's right. And then and who's we laughing? just say these jokes wistfully and with a little bit yeah. of a tear in our eye. And the the grandkids won't even understand what it is. Right. They won't, you know, yep. get the reference. And... Sonny, let me tell you about the pieces of ash I used to get. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean when you say you hang up the phone? Yeah. Uh... Going off topic, speaking of, like, not getting pop culture references, uh, I was driving our uh, freshman to school today, and we had gotten a light um, – dusting of snow so the roads were a little slick and i we were sitting at a stop sign and i watched a truck come around the corner and kind of fishtail and speed up and throw uh snow and that got me singing the uh dukes of hazard theme song <laughs> and she just did not get the reference at all like, <laughs> like bone luke duke daisy didn't no, no no roscoe p coltrane no, no nothing Boss hog? No. so then yeah so then it got me down a rabbit hole of like what was the dog's name does anybody remember the dog's name? Oh, Roscoe's uh, dog. That big, yeah, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember. Big Basset Hound. Yeah. So this is the trivia of the day. Yeah, I don't know. I got I got Google. 
It's Flash. That's right. Flash was the dog's name. Yep. Mm, so yep. then I had to look up. This is something I never knew. What does the P stand for in Roscoe P. Coltrane? I had to look that up. It's Purvis. Okay. Roscoe Purvis Coltrane. Coltrane. And he didn't get the P added until season two. So. Okay. And now y'all know. Yep. If you remember the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> All from just watching some truck come around the corner and just fishtail <laughs> and went down the... Duke's Hazard, <laughs> rabbit hole. So, I don't. Do you remember Duke's Hazard, Logan? Are you too young? No, or? I'm too young. Okay, so I, I would have been pretty young when that was out uh, too. So yeah, I'm He's looking for the air man. dates. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It it finished airing three years before I was born. Okay, oh. so seventy nine to eighty five. It might be streaming somewhere if it hasn't been like canceled by social media. Yeah, seventy nine <laughs> so. to eighty five. Wow, I remember the yeah. lost seasons where um, Bo and Luke were in contract discussions, so they didn't they held out. Oh yeah, and then they had yeah. their cousins Coy and yep. can't think of the other guy yeah. take their place. Scabs. That's right. Yep. Hmm. Now we know. Mm-hmm. All right. Where were yeah. we? Yeah. If you have <laughs> any other comments about the Dukes yeah. of Hazard, you want to just leave those in the description on our YouTube channel. Make sure you like and ring the bell and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. Uh, here's the thing that I wanted to talk about today because uh, I think we have three related yet very different opinions on how we go about buying tools. And we have one case study, very recent case study among the three of us on the tool buying process that I think is both unique and probably more common than we think. Mm -hmm. So Logan, you just recently purchased a lathe and we've talked about as you're, you're building your new shop and getting it outfitted, uh, you have some rough principles on the types of tools that you want. And I think it's a really good, good discussion point because Woodworking magazines and publications and websites have a real strong affinity towards the new, recently released, the shiny, the updated kind of a thing. And magazines do tool reviews and publish tool buying guides. And they always refer to the current crop of available new tools or as recent as possible. So the idea being is that if you're buying a table saw or in your case, a lathe, Mm -hmm. you have this wide world of brand new lathes to look at. And somewhere in there is the lathe that you're going to buy. Except you didn't buy that lathe. What lathe did you buy? So I bought a 2010, 2011 Vic Mark VL 300 CS. Um, yeah. And 
to be clear on what you were implying, you know, when, as I'm starting to, I have all the tools I would ever need in my shop. Right. But I want to slowly replace those with vintage machinery. Um, this lathe is quite obviously an outlier. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, in, in my long-term picture, it's an outlier. I mean, it, it fits in with my current shop stuff. I have, you know, um, mid-2000s bandsaw, drill press. Um, I have a sauce top. Um, I thought you were going to say that as a millennial, 2010 is a vintage tool. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Uh, now, here's the, here's the thing. With looking at vintage lathes. Okay, and this is the re- the whole reason I did not buy a vintage lathe. Okay, okay? Um, the lathe is the one tool that, in my opinion, I want to be. I want some modern features on. Okay, modern features. Now, if you look at drill presses, table saws, jointers, planers, there isn't a whole lot of innovation over the last seventy years, right? Like a right. new planer looks very similar to my 1916 Towsley planer or jointer, right? right? Like they look very similar. Functionally, there's not a whole lot of difference there. When you start looking at lathes though, um, there's big innovations. Uh, that's a terrible word. I hate that word. There's big, there's been big changes in the way that they're driven. Um, so electronic variable speed is a big thing now. Um, so you're actually controlling the speed of the lathe by controlling the RPMs of the motor. Vintage lathes didn't do that. They had a fixed RPM on the motor, and then either you had to manually change the belt, and you'd have five different speeds, and you'd have those five speeds only. Right. Or you had what is called a Reeves drive. Okay. Now, a Reeves, a Reeves drive, it, and I'm sure some people have seen those. Some drill presses have them. Um, actually, our... Um, I think the Powermatics have them, and I think the Rikon we have in the video studio has it. As the lathe or the machine is running, you either turn a wheel or you move a leather. And what that does is there's a pulley in there that expands or contracts. And the expansion and contraction of that changes the diameter of that pulley that's engaged on the belt. So in essence, you're changing the speed or the size of the pulley on the fly. Um, they work well until they don't. <laughs> and the problem is with a lot of these vintage lathes, like a vintage American made lathe, um, there aren't parts available for them. So if the reef drives fails, you're kind of stuck. I mean, I, I think you probably have some options, but I don't know what those options are. It's just not something I want to mess around with. Yeah. Um, now, I like the, you know, when, when looking at vintage lathes, I like the fact that stepping out of the woodworking segment into the pattern making industry, you have some really big lathes and you have some really cool attachments to those lathes. Sure. Like, you know, tapering attachments you have, I mean, threading attachments. I mean, the, 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 the pattern maker world is completely nuts compared to what we do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it just as a route I didn't want to go down. And so I, I, I started looking. I've been looking for a particular lathe made in Australia for a long time um, called the Stubby. Um, it's made by Omega. Um, it's the Omega Stubby. They have the S 
750 and 1000 um, and they're a very cool kind of like transformer type lathe they have a very small footprint but the beds are on a turret they spin they they turn there's mm. a gap in them they can throw really big wood um however when i first started looking at them five or six five years ago or so um you could get one imported into the u.s for like 4500 bucks whoa okay it's because the, Amer- the yeah the american dollar was really strong against the the australian dollar um and after freight and everything it was like 4500 maybe close to 5000 yeah however um, when I just recently started looking at them again, the price has skyrocketed to almost eight thousand dollars. Now, sell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the thing in in lathe manufacturers, right? Like you have you have a, a ton of companies that make lathes: Grizzly, Powermatic, Rikon, um, Laguna. The like the big quote tool companies that make everything also make lathes. Okay, all of those lathes, for the most part, fall in the like the forty five hundred dollar range. Then you have the lathe manufacturers. These are the guys that only make lathes. Right. Um, you have American uh, or Robust Tools up in I think they're in Wisconsin. Yep. You have One Way, who's in Canada. You have Vicmark, who is in Australia, um, and those are kind of the big ones. All of those lathes new, like the American Beauty from Robust is about a $10,000 lathe. The One Way is about a $7,500 lathe. Um, same thing with the, the Vic Mark. It's about a $7,500 lathe. But they're just, I mean, they're built different. I mean, it, they are a lathe company that makes a lathe. They're not a tool company that also makes a lathe, if you, if you catch my drift, right? right? So they understand what is needed in a lathe. Um, so this particular lathe I bought, uh, it's a VL300CS. Um, it was made in 2011. Um, the CS stands for Craft Supply USA. Hmm. So it was the Craft Supply out of Utah. It was their version of the VL300. So uh, Vic Mark made this for Craft Supply. It's a long bed, which I didn't necessarily want, but I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, it is a long bed, 24-inch swing lathe, um, super well-built lathe. Uh, you know, a lot of the world's best turners turn on dick marks, and I've had many, many people tell me that they are the best lathe in their opinions. Right. Um, so, you know, I paid, I paid what I thought was a fair price for it. Um, the gentleman that sold it, Larry, uh, was fan- Larry and his wife, Shirley, are fantastic. They are some of my new favorite people. Um, they are from Phil's hometown of Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, so I drove six and a half hours each way to get it. Um, did that last week. Um, had to get it out of Larry and Shirley's basement. Um, but that was a adventure. I may have put a <laughs> hole in one of their basement doors with a two by four. Whoops. They would not let me buy them a new door. I was trying to buy them a new door and they would not let me. They said it was the greatest story they've ever had. Um, <laughs> They're going to frame uh, it. Yeah. So Larry was very, very sad to see his lathe go, um, but he's getting a new lathe. So, right. he, yeah, Larry was not um, – he wasn't selling his lathe to Gav turning. Um, Larry's – I want to say he said he's 80. He's close to 80, I think. Hmm. Um, 
he has a bad back, so and he does a lot of hollowing, so he doesn't like leaning over the lathe. He wanted a lathe he could slide the headstock to the end of the lathe and stand at the end without having to bend over. Sure. So completely legitimate, completely understand it. In 20 years, I'll probably feel the same way, and then this lathe will get sold to somebody else. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was, that's kind of my lathe story. It was, you know, it's it's pretty awesome. Um, it's a uh, uh, my one stipulation when I bought this lathe from Larry, I, I paid him his asking price. I didn't negotiate it at all. Um, what I said was though, is I would buy it if he would include one of his turnings with it. So I took home one of his turnings as well, uh, which is fun. So yeah, it's I'm excited to get it set up. Cool. So yeah. how available are and this shows my ignorance on lathes for accessories. Like, is it pretty? Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah. Vic Mark's Vic Mark has a big distribution network in the U.S. Okay. Um, so you can always get parts for them. Right. Um, uh, it's it's one of the big differences between the Stubby and the Vic Mark. Um, Stubby also made in Australia. Yeah. Uh, there's no. There used to be distributors in the U.S. There's a gentleman Pedro out of California that is now distributing them. Um, they're just not scene they have a huge cult following right um but uh there's not a huge network of them um yeah vic mark you can get i mean the bearings are standard bearings i can go buy from granger um you know it, everything's pretty easy um the only accessory that it doesn't have they didn't come it did not come with it standard it's an it's an add-on that i will probably pick up at some point is an outboard turning rest. No. Oh. So so the headstock doesn't move. Right. It has threads threads on the standard side for a chuck. The other side's a hand wheel, but you can remove that hand wheel and put the chuck on that side. So then you can turn stuff that it's like six foot in diameter. Whoa. And they sell a yeah, they sell a tool rest that bolts onto the base of the lathe and the articulating arms comes out and it's, it's, it's very odd. I'll, I'll put a picture on the show notes page. Sure. Um, but I think that'd be fun to just to be able to turn. Like if I did a big round tabletop or something, that'd be fun to turn. Um, you know, cause who wants to use a router to do a profile when you can cut it in? Right. You know? So. Well, when you, yeah. I mean, then, then when you do a turned platter, like it's a turned platter. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But you can get like scroll chucks and drill chucks and whatever, and it's a relatively. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! So, uh, uh, chucks are standard threaded. So there's usually like a eight by one or a um, one and a quarter by eight. Um, the thread count size. So yeah, everybody makes chucks. They'll all fit, but they won't all fit. If you have the right thread, they'll fit. So oh, yeah. yeah, everything's pretty standard. Morris taper number two. Um, sure. So everything I have for my small lathe downstairs will fit this. Um, that's one of the one of the things that I'm trying to figure out um, is do I keep my small lathe or not? I know all the turners I know all have two or three lathes. Sure. And kind of want to like, keep would it, you can, like, are, oh. are you considering yourself a turner then? I know. Or like, do I want to have it two lathes set up in my shop? Not really. I like, I don't like that much crap. So <sighs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll pull like a, uh, 
Demoid wood, tur- wood turners and put it on wheels and just push it in my storage side and let it sit out there just so I have it as a backup. Because that's one thing that I, I told Larry when I got to his place um, on Friday. It's like, Larry, did you? Because I, I mailed him a check. I mailed him a cashier's check so he could order his new lathe. Because um, he sure. said he wasn't going to order it until he got a check. So I, I mailed him a check. So did you order your new lathe yet? He's like, no, I haven't yet. I was like, Larry. He's like, well, I was like, I got a second lathe. <laughs> and he did. He had, a, he had another small delta there. <laughs> like, everybody has two lathes, man. And I, I know a lot of people will set up their, like, buffing system on one so you don't have to tear it down. So Dumb. they'll use it with, like, the Beal buffing system that has three buffers on it. It slides into the Morris taper, tailstock holds it, and then that way when they're done turning something, they just go over and buff it, so... Cool. Because I was thinking that, you know, your shop is going to be pretty generously sized, but I feel like real estate ends up disappearing pretty fast in it. Yes. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it is. Um, And now that I have the dividing wall built in my shop, Uh I can kind of conceptualize how big of space I have. Um, and yeah, it's like, okay, I can actually spread stuff out, which is my plan. Cause I want room for photo equipment and video equipment. Uh, but you start adding additional pieces of machinery. It's like, yeah, rooms get a little smaller and a little smaller every time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I even see it here on our video studio set where we have pretty much all the tools that we need, but yeah. when you set up some saw horses to glue up a few panels or in between assemblies on even relatively small projects, you know, all of a sudden there's a cart now in the middle of the space and two sets of sawhorses with glue ups on it. And yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of space and we could probably move stuff around and fit it better, but it can, it can fill up. Yep. So, and I think that's where having, having some tools on wheels, um, works well in most instances where it's like, hey, we can roll it out of the way as long as it's not a Rikon lathe that has a broken wheel. Oh. You out, Rikon. Right. <laughs> I mean, we've only been asking for that extra wheel for probably two years yeah. now. Yeah. So. So would you yeah, say I'm then... I'm excited to get the thing set up. Yeah. So you obviously have... Uh, probably a preference for a used or vintage tool. Are there things that you would only consider buying new? No. See, this is, I've always, I've had this argument with friends of mine over not only tools over other stuff. I'm a huge fan of used stuff. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. As John said, he made the joke the other day that, I like to help keep the economy going, um, <laughs> but I'm still kind of a cheapskate. Like if I can, if I can find a deal, I'm going to buy the deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, I don't think there's the only tool I have personally bought new, like big tool is my, my saw stop. I think, I mean, everything else I've bought has been used because I just can't justify it. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. Why? Like, I know, I, I know, I understand, and I have friends that they're like, oh, I don't want somebody else's problem. It's like, well, that's not that's not the case, man. It's 
that they are either not using it anymore or they just decide they want something different. And and just because somebody decides they want something different doesn't mean there's anything wrong with what they're getting rid of. So um, now I would I would say I, I, I would probably have a problem buying a used sawmill, but that's just me. Um, just because I would want it, I would want everything to be flat and true to, from the get go. And with the used one, you don't know that you might have some twist or something. But um, no, I have a I my preference is always to buy used. Um, and when I'm looking at tools, my budget generally depends on value that I'm getting. So so I might be looking at a a planer, but I might not have a set budget but I'm willing to spend more if I get more out of it. Right. So like, if it's like, Hey, I need a planer, you know, 15 inches is the minimum size. I'd buy a 36 inch. If it's a good deal, <laughs> I might spend a little bit more on it, but, um, I want to know that I'm getting a, a good deal that I'm getting more value out of what I'm spending. And if, it opens up other possibilities. So like a planner, for example, I want a big planner. I mean, I want, you know, if I want a big planner, to me, it makes more sense just to get the 30, get the biggest one you can because buy what, you know, buy once cry once, right? Sure. It's kind of my thought. So if I'm going to invest in a tool, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to say that I'm not going to buy one just to get me by because I do have a Harbor Freight Affinity too. So sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm not going to use it that much. Let's just Harbor Freight it. Um, <laughs> but like with big power tools, I would rather buy the best that I can afford and not have to worry about buying another one down the road. Okay. I guess. Would that even, you know? would that even mean that you would delay that purchase for yes, months slash years? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Until the right one comes up. I mean, I've been, to be completely honest, I have been looking for a big lathe for three years now. Okay. It's just there has never been one that I have been willing to pull the trigger on. Um, you know, like, I would I love an American Beauty from Robust? Yeah, but I'm not going to spend $9,000 on a lathe right now. Yeah. You know, like, I know I just said buy once, cry once, but the value that I'm going to get out of that American Beauty I'm getting the same value out of this Vicmark that was half that price. Um, there's and there's capacity-wise, there's no difference between the two lathes. They're about the, uh, the the American Beauty might be a little bit heavier, but with this base, I can add a ton of weight to it. So, you know, in all practical purposes, they have the same capacity. They're going to work the same for me. Um, whereas something like the planer or, you know, table saw, for example, you know, I have my saw stop right now. I would like to upgrade to a vintage. Uh, it's not an upgrade, but I would like to switch out to a vintage table saw. There is a Faye and Egan for sale in um, Omaha. It's been for sale for about eight months now. Um, it's a, I don't know, early thirties, late twenties one. Um, it has a 16 inch blade. To me, it's like, I don't need the 16-inch blade, but God, it would sure be nice to be able to rip five-inch stock on it, you know? <laughs> so it would be a little scary, yeah, maybe, but um, having the capacity to do that, I put pretty big value on. Um, 
there's some things about that saw that I don't like, which is why I have not purchased it. Um, and the, the guy's almost to the point where he's giving it away. He's close to giving it away. Um, so yeah, there's there's some decision making uh, check marks that I want to go through when I'm thinking about buying a new tool and when I actually start looking for a new tool. So and I think you make a you kind of just glanced by it a little bit, but it's kind of a moving target on what that best tool is depending on who oh, you completely. are, you know, cause if, if you were a production Turner, then your calculus on what lathe you get is different than you're an enthusiastic Turner, but yes. you're doing a, a bunch of other stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Now I also, I also put on, or I put a pretty heavy weight on how much am I going to use it? So, I mean, that's and that's not only tools. I, I just thought about that when I'm drinking my coffee. I use my coffee maker every day. So when I'm looking at coffee makers, I'm more apt to spend more money on a quality coffee maker because I use it every day, multiple times a day. Uh, you know, it's like a a drum sander in the shop. I am not going to spend that much on a drum sander because I'm not going to use it every day. Heck, I might not even use it every week, you know? So to me, I'm, I'm going to put a lower value on that in my shop than I would uh, the lathe, for example, which I'm expecting to use multiple times a week. Yeah. So. John, how about you? What's your... Uh, yeah, I... I'd kind of have to, well, first of all, you can play the long, long game like I did and just get a job at a woodworking <laughs> publishing company. And then you just wait until they get too many tools and sell them at auction and you can just get them, you know, dirt. Clean so, up. Just, yep. That's so true. Play the long game, get the job at Woodsmith Magazine, and then <laughs> yep. you just clean out. So carts for like dollars. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You can't even get yeah. casters that cheap, you know? Nope. So um, if you can't do that, uh, I kind of agree with Logan on buying used tools because, I mean, it's with any big purchases, cars, especially in the hobbies, like sports equipment, woodworking stuff, yeah. you know, golf clubs, treadmills. There are people that love to buy stuff new that have more money than I do, apparently, because yep. they, they buy things new and for whatever reason, you know, don't enjoy the hobby after a while or just aren't using it or whatever and and you can get used tools um you know at a discount and i don't mind because i know like if i buy something new i'm always like kind of babying stuff and it's like you don't want to be the first one to chip the paint or scuff the the you know cast iron surface or anything like that so it's like if that little bit of wear is already done then you know he takes that off the table and, and you're ready to, to get in there and start using it. So there's, you can always find good used tools out there for people that are, you know, for whatever reason, have just, you know, moved on or don't use as much as they um, thought they would. Cause I've, I've done the same thing. I bought things and then it's like, Oh, I didn't use this as much as I thought I would. And it's just taking up space and I'm happy to, you know, let it, let it move on and clear up the space for something else. So yeah. I think it, and especially for us, we've been in, we've been using a lot of tools and have learned stuff along the way that we can 
kind of judge on uh, the quality of stuff and kind of find the best value and, and whatnot there. But there is always, you know, stuff out there as far as used. I, I will say, have you, or I will ask, have you guys ever been bitten by a tool purchase? Because I have one. Hmm. I don't I think that I ever it. have. Like, okay. Anything that it's like, oh my gosh, I bought a lemon and this is junk. And yeah, mine wasn't necessarily lemon, but it looked like a good deal on the surface, and then it wasn't. Oh yeah, yeah, I haven't had that. I had a. It was. It was a not a. It was a small tool. It was, uh, and I think I ended up giving it to you, Logan, to sell as a number three sized hand plane. That. Mm. I got because I really like the size. Found it at a, a antique mall kind of place. It was a decent price that I thought at the time, and it turns out, a that I didn't know as much as I thought I did about hand planes, and b there were just some irregularities in how that plane was constructed, that mm-hmm. turned it into something that you would be constantly fiddling with rather than using. Yeah. Is that the one you made the cherry note, uh, tote knob for? Yeah. I'm pretty sure I still have that one in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had those where it's like, oh, small vintage tools. Like, it's like, oh, hey, on the surface, this looks great, but that screw was stuck and it broke off in the, in the cast. <laughs> and now it's become a parts plane. Oh, I've learned from that, though. So whenever I buy those vintage hand planes or hand tools, I make sure it's a price that I can strip the parts and make money back if I need to. I don't want to be bitten that bad by it. But the the one I was thinking about was that Parmatic bandsaw I bought from the uh, old studio, the old video studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think John had put it up on center blocks and took the tires and rims off of it at one point. <laughs> so yeah, it was a parts knew, machine. Yeah, well, I knew when I bought it that it was missing some things. Right, it was missing. Um, oh God, like the switch is the switch. The yeah. And the bearings were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the bearing assembly, I think, was gone. Mm-hmm. And the tensioning lever was gone. Uh, there was a lot of things that were missing on it. I didn't pay much for it. You know, I think I paid maybe 300 bucks for it. Um, which, I mean, it was a very low mileage bandsaw. Right. It mm-hmm. was like, it was like, hey, it only got unloaded off the car trailer, went to the dealer, but then they took the tires off to put on another car. Um, so I think I probably, cause I put, I ordered so many parts from Powermatic for that saw. Oh, I probably have a thousand dollars in that saw now. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I mean, it's like a brand the, new saw though. Yeah. Well, oh, it is. It's, it's a beautiful bandsaw. You know, it's like, I put <clears throat> Carter guides on it. You know, those were 300 bucks. I put tires on it. I put, <laughs> um, I had to order all new quick release parts from Powermatic. So, you know, I probably had. A thousand or twelve hundred bucks into that saw. Um, now I have that Laguna, so I'm probably going to sell that Parmatic. But um, speaking of not needing two of one thing, two bandsaws, I could see value in, but I don't need to do it. Yeah. So, but yeah, I guess that's the only that's the only thing. And it wasn't like you said; it wasn't it, that it was a lemon. Um, it just was on the surface. It looked like a really good deal. And then I started adding all the numbers up, and I'm like, oh, I should have just bought one from Powermatic. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the jointer's kind of the same way, a little bit. 
the big one because it's yeah. like yeah, what I what I paid for it. And this, this goes back to the value thing that I was talking about. It's like you know what I paid for it plus having a new cutter head made from Bird, plus sandblasting costs, plus you know I'm gonna have to have some parts machined and and poured and stuff. I couldn't have bought a 24 inch any you know. I'm going to be a quarter of what a new 24-inch machine would be. Right. However, I could have bought a 16-inch for that price. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to be as cool as this, so there's that too. But Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot that goes into buying tools, you know, because I have oh, – yeah. I am definitely of the thrifty sort and will avoid tool purchases and then – you know, most of my big tools are used. Uh, the only one that I have that was new is my planer, which I got. It's the and part of the reason was in my garage. I wanted a relatively, I wanted a lunchbox style planer, and having seen us use the Dewalt seven thirty five here for years and years, I knew that it was a solid planer and. Uh, my calculus on that is I taught woodworking seminars at the Woodsmith store here in town for years, and they paid in gift cards to the store. So I hoarded my gift cards until I had the money to be able to buy the planer from from the store. So that's how I ended up with that one. And, uh, and it's been a really sweet machine. Mm-hmm. So other than that, I think the only other tools that I've bought that were new uh, were my routers. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, routers and like cordless drills. But mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with just the fact of what those kind of tools are. I mean, nobody gets all jacked up about having a 65-year-old hand router, you know, because that thing's mm-hmm. going to weigh there's, 43 there's pounds. There's a and, reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, router, like small power tools or battery operated tools, that's stuff I would buy new. Yeah. Yeah. Because just because they've improved drastically mm-hmm. over time and, you know, batteries, they wear out. They're the most expensive thing usually. So you usually want to get stuff with new batteries and, yeah. and that kind of thing, I guess. See, I agree with that as far as the battery powered tools go. Routers are one thing that I actually think I would buy used. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, like, as, you know, I'm not going to buy a Black & Decker. Right. You know, not knocking <laughs> Black & Decker, um, but knocking Black & Decker. But I would I would completely consider buying a used, and I have actually bought a used uh, uh, 690, Porter Cable 690, okay. mm-hmm. tried and true, right? <clears throat> um, I think I bought a used 7518 or 7519, like the big three and a quarter horse one, mm-hmm. three and a half yeah. horse. Um because those machines, you know, or those routers are, they're pretty bulletproof. You might need to do new brushes or maybe mm-hmm. a new switch in them, but you can get those parts. Right. So if you compare the price of like a new, I mean, they don't make new uh, 690s anymore, but it was probably what, $250, $300 router? Yeah, depending on when you new, bought it. Yeah. 200 bucks. Yeah. So, and if you could buy a used one for 65, 70 bucks, psh, yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Cause and like you said, it doesn't need an extra router. Yeah. The replacement parts are 
widely available. It's not like you're only getting them yep. from Porter Cable or whatever. You can find a lot of that yeah. stuff at McMaster Car or Reed or whatever. So, Yeah. Now, I do think that that brings up a, a good point. The fact that I feel like, and I, I think most people would agree with me, stuff today is not made to repair like it used to be or made to be repaired like it used to be. Like, you know, Porter Cable offered uh, brushes, switches, everything like that. Collets. I mean, you could you could buy parts for your routers. Yeah. Um, same thing with um, vintage drills and stuff like that. You know, you could buy replacement parts. I don't think. I think if you called Ryobi and said, "Hey, <laughs> my drill stopped working. I need a new trigger assembly for it," they'd be like, "You're dumb." You know. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like it's a $32 drill. Go buy a new one. Yeah. You know, which I, I hate that mentality, but that's how we are today. Kind of, you know, as a society, I think, which is dumb, but <laughs> I only say that because I knocked my Ryobi drill off the ladder in the shop the other day and it stopped working. Oh, maybe you got to knock it again. <laughs> yeah. It's like amnesia. You well, just got to yeah. hit it on the head I, again. Yeah. I decided that it was time to switch off of Ryobi slowly. So I started doing that. All right, that's fair. Yeah. So I think the other, you know, both of you have talked about it, but one thing that I would think about when considering buying tools is I consider myself a hobbyist. And so one of the main features of something is like how, you know, what my use of it is going to be in an appropriate amount. You know, like I'm not gonna, yeah. uh, I'm going to spend money on a tool that I know that I'm going to get a lot of use out of, or is really going to help me do X, Y, and Z. And I will avoid purchasing tools because I know that I just don't, I have a lot of other stuff going on. I'd like to do more woodworking than I do, but at the level that I am, I just look at it as I'm a hobbyist and I have lots of other stuff that, you know, I have priorities for where that money needs to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I probably underestimate that sometimes because I was talking about uh, this with my brother-in-law and father-in-law over Christmas. Because uh, you had gotten a, a domino in mm -hmm. yep. for some articles and a review for popular woodworking. And wow. I used it on my sister's dining table and the base for the sideboard that I'm building for popular woodworking. And in just that short amount of time, like I could really see the value of it. And I, oh, and yeah. I could see, and in talking through it and talking out loud, like, I could find value in purchasing a domino for the type of stuff that projects that I build and it would be, yeah, but only because I've spent years doing very similar things with loose tendon joinery with a router, uh, biscuits and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, and I think that is, I mean, you, you make a good point. 
you could do it with other things. Like you could do loose tenant joinery with other tools and other other ways to do it. But after you factor in, you know, a router, you factor in the time to build the jig, the time to set it up, stuff like that. There's a point in in my personal work style that I put a lot of value on the time. So it's like I could, yeah, I could make a jig for every project that I need to do loose tenons with, or I can make a universal one, but the time I'm going to invest in building that jig, it's not going to be probably as accurate as the domino. Right. Like, yeah, it's a big tool purchase, but it's also a huge time saver. So I, yeah, I get it. Like that is, that is one of the few, the fest tool stuff is stuff that I would consider buying used as well. Oh, sure. And there's a, there's a very good used market for it and it sells for like 80% of retail when it sells used. So. All right. There you go. I'd love to hear what you guys listeners have about your process for buying tools. Are you a new tool purchaser and why? Or a used tool purchaser or uh, maybe a tool flipper. You buy a bunch of tools, flip them, and then buy something super cool with that. Uh, uh, You can email us, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Um, or you can leave your comments in the comments section on our YouTube channel. Uh, don't forget to check out the show notes page where we'll put some photos up of some of the things we've been talking about. I'm also going to put up a link in light of uh, our last episode on auxiliary work surfaces. And we talked about John's sawhorse design that he's working on. I'm going to put up a link to a free plan on what I consider the ultimate sawhorse plan that we featured in shop notes magazine um, in light of its launching so you want to check out both the i'll put a link on the description on the youtube channel as well for that Uh, but if you're looking to build sawhorses i have a plan for you so otherwise we'll see you next week on the shop notes podcast bye everybody